sometimes I just love a movie that makes no sense. And this one is chock full of it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dr. Movie, where the MR stands for Macho Rednecks. Or Mississippi Rednecks, which we've got some in this movie. I've always been intrigued by this movie that we're covering today. Uh, possibly because of the artwork just stood out to me as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, let's just face it, it scared me. Uh, it's funny whatever scares you as a kid, and I'm going to follow this up with kind of a little mini episode of what horror is, but it's funny that when something impacts you as a young, influential person that's learning everything, how even after you grow up, it's still kind of scary to you. Even if it's a crappy old movie, it still remains kind of scary to you for some reason. It's always in the back of the mind. So this movie uh, is one that haunted me as a kid, even though I hadn't seen it a lot, and it is The Beast Within from 1982. That's right, from the director that brought us The Howling 2. So what else do you want, right? <laughs> so this movie kicks off in 1964 in Mississippi, and we got a newlywed couple that's driving to their honeymoon hideaway, and they end up getting their car stuck in the mud. And while the husband runs off to get help, the lady is raped out in the woods by some kind of humanoid beast that was apparently locked up in some abandoned house in Mississippi. Now, in most cases, this is a pretty far stretch, but being that it's in Mississippi, I'll let it slide. And also, this is something that you saw a lot of in the early 80s. That movies were really rapey for some reason. I, You don't really see that a whole lot now. It's not saying that it's a bad thing either. But it's definitely something you saw a lot in these early 80s flicks. But anyways, when the husband makes his way back with a tow truck, uh, he finds his wife laying out in the woods completely naked and unconscious and looks like she's pretty badly hurt. Uh, now, there's a physics problem here, right? I'm talking about the rape scene. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not going to show you scenes of it. But uh, if you watch the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, just like I said at the beginning of the movie. Um, I don't, it, unless this humanoid guy was like, humanoid John Holmes or something. I, I don't understand how the physics of how this works. But anyways, uh, the new husband picks up his wife and takes her to the nearest hospital. And while they're driving off in the night, you hear a couple of gunshots off in the distance. And then it just jumps to 17 years later. And the same couple, now older, is talking to a doctor about their son who's apparently dying. There's something wrong. I can't figure out what's wrong with him. It's an unexplained anomaly of what's happening. And it causes the parents to realize that they need to go back and figure out what happened all these years ago if it led to some kind of disease or deformity. Uh, again, the, the lady never really sees what happens when all this is going on, so we don't know that it's... She doesn't really know that it's some kind of beast, I guess. Uh, but they're trying to go back to the town where all this happened or close to it and figure out what happened to save their son. Now, speaking of the son, 
At this point, he's having a fever dream, which really looks like the first Evil Dead movie, where he goes into this abandoned house where humanoid Holmes was. And let's talk about this guy for a second. Now, I know in other movies, we take a younger actor that's in their career and pass them off as teenagers in these movies. This movie is a little drastic. I mean, this guy looks like he's in his 30s, but you put him in a school letter jacket and blammo, he's a teenager again. So, hey, let's try this theory. Blammo, right? I can pass for 17. Uh, anyways, back to the movie. So the parents are trying to figure out who Demon Dirk Diggler is so they can track him down and find out if he has any unusual health problems. You think? Uh, for the record... The dad in this movie is the same guy that tried to kill off RoboCop, so he doesn't really seem to have a very good track record already. Uh, but they they go to this little town, and they go to the city archives, and they talk to the mayor and all these officials of the town, and they're all staying pretty tight-lipped. Uh, but Mike's parents find out about uh, looking through the archives in the newspaper about this murder that happened at the same time or the same date as their incident happened and it was about the murder of a local coroner there who uh his name is lionel Kerwin, right so lionel is the brother of both the judge and this newspaper guy that they're talking to so this town is you know small town close-knit kind of thing right um so you're finding out this guy died the same day and now the craziness begins because michael the son gets up and just breaks out of the hospital, not that you have to break out, and he drives out to the house where he dreamed about, which I find very comical because how do you know where this house is, right? I I know I can overlook the fact of, you know, knowing where it is. I'm, I'm overlooking the magical powers of the letter jacket, folks. I think that's what it is. Uh, he puts on the letter jacket and instantly knows where the house is in some other town that he hadn't been to in his whole life. Anyways, he goes in the old abandoned house and opens up the Evil Dead trap door in the floor and lets his humanoid father out, supposedly, I guess. You think that's crazy? Suck on this! The very next scene that I really can't wrap my head around is Mike ends up at the house of the guy that owns the newspapers in town, right? He owns the store there. He owns the business there. And this is one of the strangest and most uncomfortable scenes I really have ever seen in movie history because it gets really, really weird. Uh, Mike is sitting in the guy's kitchen like he just delivered this guy some groceries, and he's watching him play with some hamburger meat. Maybe, is this guy expecting something more from the grocery kid? I don't know, besides groceries? Uh, maybe he just really enjoys ground chuck? It's really oddball piece of filmmaking. It, it belongs in motel hell. It's one of those type scenes. Uh, needless to say, Mike takes the dude down in one of the worst struggles also I've ever seen in film history. I mean, it's a really bad kind of struggle scene here. And Mike just takes a big chunk out of his neck. And this is where I get a little confused early on with the story because it doesn't make a lot of sense. We've established that Monster John Holmes breaks out of an abandoned house just to rape something. That's all we know. But this guy apparently craves human flesh. Imagine if Mike had had his dad's spontaneity. Boy, we'd have a whole different uh, type of situation in the kitchen, wouldn't we? Anyways, after the deed is done, Mike and his magic jacket take off again. They end up passing out in this cute girl's Amanda's yard. 
and uh, she helps get him back to the local hospital. And the next day, Mike decides to go back to talk to Amanda and say, thanks for saving my life, and they go walking out in the swamp and start making out. Why is that? Well, because, ladies and gentlemen, Mike is taking it up another level. He's broken out the heavy artillery, the denim jacket. And while they're getting ready to knock boots, the girl's dog comes running over, and it's got a severed arm in its mouth. And it turns out there's about... 36 bodies of bones out in this area, in this swamp. And, of course, that causes a big rush of cops and paramedics and all the townspeople, right? And apparently, it's no big deal to tamper with evidence in this town because you got the sheriff and all of his team out here digging up body parts and just picking them up with his bare hands. And they're going, hey, sheriff, look what I found. It's pretty hilarious, actually. Now, at this point, also, we get to meet... Horace, which you've seen this guy in a ton of movies back in the day, and he's Amanda's father, who is not a fan of 30-year-old teenagers in denim jackets. And at this point, the sheriff and Mike's dad and the local doctor decide to go talk to the coroner and say, hey, we got all these body parts missing. You got any idea of what's going on? And they go talk to this guy who looks like the tall man's little brother, and he's tight-lipped as well. So if we haven't got strange enough for you yet... Now it's time for that left turn at Albuquerque because Michael Presley uh wakes up in his sleep and he's a hunk of hunk of burning sweat and he walks downtown and finds a guy named Tom and actually calls him out by name. So we find out that at this point that Mike is somehow possessed by a guy named Billy Connors. And we get the story of his return and it's that of like the cicadas. (laughs) Yeah, the cicadas. That's another whole thing in this movie that, whatever. And Billy is coming back like the cicadas to kill all the people that he holds responsible for his death. Confused yet? I am. Now what happens next is Magic Mike kills the mini tall man with an embalming needle. Kind of like the Phantasm 2 ending with, you know, except he actually embalms this guy alive. And the next morning, back at the hospital, the parents tell Mike, hey, we're going to load up your stuff and we're going to another specialist because we don't like this place. But Mike keeps insisting, nope. And he tells the dad, robo-dad, that you're not my father. Billy Connors is. Now, a little later on, things really start getting stranger because Michael, between his back of his shoulder blades here, is starting to split open and he tries to hide it. And... But then the doc comes in to check on him, and then Michael basically just slams him against the wall and escapes again. And then we got Tom, the wino, trying to tell Michael's parents that your son is a guy named Billy. So now Robo-Dad blames Tom for messing with his kid's head, which is a pretty big head, by the way. And uh, so Tom does what any of us would do and just takes off running. And he goes back to a place where he and Billy, which Billy was one of his friends when they grew up together, used to go and hang out together when they were kids in their denim jackets. And Michael slash Billy is there. And then all of a sudden, Billy becomes Captain Kirk in Star Trek II. And he picks up Tom and throws him on some Transformers and it burns him alive. And at this point, Mike slash Billy decides to go back to Amanda's house one more time And warn her that she needs to leave because of her last name, which is tied into this whole family. 
and uh, said that, you know, Billy is coming back to kill everybody who has that name, and Michael slash Billy is going to try to kill her, too. And he actually does attack her. She doesn't get out of the house fast enough, but he pulls the reins back a little bit, then he runs and jumps out of the top of the house like he's going to kill himself, I guess, but doesn't really work. And then we're back at the hospital again. You're kind of seeing the trend here, right? And then Michael's got his whole family there, and Amanda, and the sheriff, and everybody's standing around him like it's the end of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and he tells them that they need to go ahead and kill him now because Billy is coming back. And at this point, we get what everybody's been waiting on in this movie. And it's what people really talk about when they talk about this movie. It's the big transformation scene. Uh, I really feel like American Werewolf in London came out a year before this. I really feel like that if American Werewolf didn't happen before this, we would be talking about this transformation quite a bit more. Because it's one part American Werewolf, it's one part Hellraiser, it's a big part Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, I even see where they kind of pulled some ideas from this and used it in the movie Demons, which is another one of my favorite movies in the horror genre. But... Obviously, this was influential at some point, and I remember people talking about this. So after the big effects transformation, Amanda's dad is there, and he's brought a shotgun because, again, he don't like denim jackets, and decides to shoot at Michael, but it's a little too late. Michael has already transformed into the beast, and he slams Amanda's dad to the ground and kills him, and then the monster breaks loose, and Robo-Dad and the gang are trying to find him, and there's some fun stuff right through here. I mean, it's it's kind of a search party kind of deal. But Mike has shed his skin. So you find, like, his human skin laying in some bushes. That's kind of cool. There's a, a dead tow truck driver that's hung upside down on a tree. It's pretty gross. It's some good stuff. At this point, the judge is now scared to death, and he goes and jumps in his car, and he gets attacked by Michael slash Billy, who now really looks like a cross between E.T., and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, who is on his way to fight on an island in Mortal Kombat. It's a really odd thing. Back at the sheriff's office, where everybody is kind of congregated now, they're holed up there, and the judge comes busting in, screaming, He's after me! He's after me! And he spills the beans on the whole situation that Lionel, the judge's brother, caught his wife, Lionel's wife, and this guy having an affair, and he killed his wife, but he didn't kill the guy, who was Billy. And he locks Billy in a basement and feeds him human flesh for all these years uh, as punishment and, and until he turns into a beast. So they were all in on it. And the next scene, all this through here, kind of feels like watching Assault on Precinct 13 mixed with Evil Dead. It's really got an aesthetic to it that kind of reminds me of that. And then the judge says the only safe place for him to be would be locked up in a cell. And that way Billy can't get to him. But then Billy Mark goes <laughs> outside the building and basically does a RoboCop, right? And he reaches through the wall, concrete cinder block wall, and just grabs the judge and rips the judge's head off. And then he's just vamooses again. Billy is on the loose. And then he stumbles upon Amanda out in the wilderness and he tracks her down, and then we get a repeat of the opening of the movie where the creature is having his way with her. And again, two rapes for the price of one. Um, 
but then later on, everybody else kind of stumbles into the woods and they find Amanda and the doctor. Everybody takes her, tries to get her back to safety. And the mom and dad are looking around and they see Billy slash Mike laying in the mud. And it looks like he's dying. Uh, but then he reaches up and attacks the dad and they're rolling around the ground. And then mom finds the double barrel shotgun laying there and puts it to Michael's head and blows Michael's head off. And that's where this movie ends. Or does it, right? I mean, we've established that the girl is possibly pregnant with another version. So there's this whole idea of this reincarnation cicada thing, right? Because Billy slash Mike tells Tom earlier that it took him 17 years to come back. Kind of reminds me of the Hellraiser idea, right? Look how hard Uncle Frank tries to come back, how long it takes him. It's it's a difficult path. Kind of the same thing here. This guy's worked in the afterlife of a plan of how he can come back. Like the cicadas, <laughs> that's the tie-in. Not a great tie-in, but I see what they were going for. And the idea of leaving it open to where you can continue the story if needed be, right? Uh, you hadn't really hit the crazy sequel mania yet, but this is early on. Uh, so what are my thoughts on this movie? Well, again, the transformation scene is what always stuck out to me, scared me as a kid, obviously. Uh, yeah, we can do a lot of it probably better now, but for the time, you didn't see anything like this besides American Werewolf, which really set that bar really high. There's some really good actors in this movie, but not good acting. The acting is pretty bad, and I really think the guy playing Mike is really the weakest. His acting's not good. He does good on the anger stuff and the transformation and all that kind of stuff, but his regular acting is not so great. With the effects being as good as they are, there is some shots of the monster as well that does hurt it. And the final creature to me is not as scary as the transformation scene or even some of the stuff where Michael is trying to control the anger inside. But if anything, what really hurts this movie is the music, which is great music. I just don't think it's right for this movie. It's a great score. It's a great soundtrack, but I just don't think it works for this movie. It feels more like a TV police drama than anything else. And it's a sign of the times of the music right here because it's really starting to change, right? Because you had Argento starting to use Goblin and some stuff. We're getting away from using the orchestral type setup to design the sound. And it really is too much at times in this. I mean, you almost expect Scooby-Doo to come out and hear a kind of sound in the middle of it. Uh, and it really, this movie struggles with what it really wants to be. It's a ghost revenge movie part of the time. It's a murder mystery sometimes. It's a throwback to 50 schlock, kind of like I was a teenage werewolf type storyline. And the tone and twist and turns of the story, a lot of this you really could leave out. It's almost too much stuff for one movie, and you start going, wait a minute, it don't make any sense. The idea of feeding dead people to a person until they become a monster seems like a long stretch just to have an antagonist. And I know this is based off of a book, but, you know, that's kind of hard to go, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. It's amazing how a movie can push so many buttons, like the rape scenes in this, uh, the transformation scenes, the getting locked up in the sheriff's office scene I think is really good. They're good highlights. But there's certain elements that you could really just take out of this as well, and uh, you'd be perfectly fine. I think it's a great one-time view movie, but not one that you'll go back and revisit a lot. Uh, but I think it's good 
to go back and see the effects that were done in this movie because obviously it led to the explosion of the effects that we're going to have in the next years coming up throughout the rest of the 80s decade. In that case, it was pretty groundbreaking. So there you go, folks. There's me covering a movie that is one of those that stays in the back of your mind of you're still a little bit scared of and you really don't even know why. So... Would love your input on this. What do you think about this movie? If you've never seen it, let me know if you're going to check it out. If you don't like the movie, that as well. Uh, be glad to share some of your input on this show. Folks, we will check you later.